I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome, everyone, to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It's December 18th. I've got a great show for you this week. I've got two shows left in the year, and I've got to tell you, they are going to rock. Now, this week is going to be really good. Next week? Next week is the horrific holiday special. I am bringing you... That's right, I, Adam Campbell, am bringing you, the listener, a delightful rendition of a holiday episode. Now, this is going to be campy, this is going to be fun, there's going to be humor, there's going to be ranting, there's going to be guest stars, oh yeah, and I don't mean one, or two, or three, or four, I've got a lot, and more than just guest stars, guest appearances, cameos, if you will. I've got music. Oh, a lot of great music from a lot of great artists. And uh, a couple personalities. And uh, a lot of damn fun. So, I hope you're going to be tuning in. I don't know if you're going to be available to get on Radio Free Satan on December 25th. Generally, on holidays, RFS takes a break. So, you're going to have to, and pay attention... Go to either iTunes or my website's RSS feed. I'm going to be spreading it around all the social networking sites, so you might be able to catch it there as well. I want everyone who has a chance to hear this to hear this, because it's going to be funny, it's going to be great, and it's going to be a satanic take on a holiday special. So, stay tuned for that. Today I'm going to be talking about, you know, like I said last week, I've been kind of reviewing, or I guess you could say ranting about, certain pieces of uh, holiday cheer. Music? Stories? Today is no exception. Alright, and last week I did uh, Frosty the Snowman. I hope everyone had a little bit of fun with that. I know I did. This week, and I sort of uh, previewed a little last week, I'm talking about a baby. A baby that I don't like much. And not because it's a baby, because I have no problem with children. But what this baby implies and assumes... We're going to be talking about a way in a manger. <laughs> Jesus. Oy okay, so there's nothing wrong with... Actually, there's a lot wrong with this character. Um, even when he is a baby. A little bit of presumption is in the way. So, without further ado. Away in a manger. No crib for his bed. And here's the, what I don't get, because at every nativity scene that I see, and I live in a, a religious state, and so there's a lot of churches and a lot of nativity scenes everywhere, he's like laying in a little bed. Like, you may argue that it's more of a nest than a bed, made of straw and shit, but what do you think they used for padding back in the day? So yeah, yeah, this is already lying to you. He had a bed. Don't let him fool you. But that's the smallest of lies. 
The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. Have you ever seen a a pretty baby? I haven't. And I would never call an ugly baby's head sweet, especially an ugly baby's head that hasn't been cleaned off from his mother's uh, uterine blood and afterbirth uh, filth, right? I mean, he's got to be covered in it. What, do they give it to the cow to lick him off? I don't think so. So they may have wiped him down with some nasty, rotten rags or, or parts of their clothes that they had on hand, but it's not like you had a wise man running around screaming for clean towels and hot water. That didn't happen. They didn't have that. Dude is in a... He's literally hanging out with cows in a barn. And that's how they portray it to you. So don't don't accept for a second this whole sweet head thing. More to the fact, at what point did this guy get a title? He's barely born. And it's not till thousands of years later that he... I should say, thousands of years later, he is commonly heralded as uh, a lord. But even uh, 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 tens, uh, twenties of years later, that even claims any type of divinity at all. So already as a baby, like he comes out of the womb with a big L on him or something. They like knight him there. Oh, Lord Jesus, may the afterbirth flow freely from your eyes. (laughs) Sick, right? Okay, so the stars in the bright sky look down where he lay. Really? Stars? Do you, are you telling me that the stars give a damn? They care at all that any human being, divine or not, is born anywhere? I don't think so. Now, what I think they're probably talking about is the North Star, which has nothing to do with any looking anywhere. It's just sort of a random star in the sky that we've ascribed uh, direction and, and, and authority. But this entire thing, it's all made up with this really horrible message at its back end. And you may not understand it at first. Or you may not want to accept that this is what people are singing out there. But they're, they're telling you that the greatest thing in the world is this disgusting, filthy little baby who doesn't even cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's sleeping in the hay... And he doesn't cry. Have you ever seen any birth of any baby that didn't cry? Now, I'm sure it happens from time to time, but no, not me. I got two kids of my own. I have a large family. I've seen babies being born, and they always cry. You know why? Because they're trying to breathe. So what? He was a stillborn? Is this whole Jesus thing a lie because he was, like, born dead? That's the only way he's not going to be crying. All right, well... The song goes on from there, uh, and it's talking about praying and tender care and dear children. Obviously, whoever wrote this has never had kids, ever, because kids are wonderful. Kids are lovely, but they are monsters, every single one of them. And if you don't teach them anything, then they're going to be disgusting, vile monsters. Now, I'm not going to cast any disparaging remarks on uh, his two purported parents, Joseph and um, Mary. But let's just say they got a little frisky before it was legal. Hence, this whole thing was born. Uh, Their infidelity does not a lord make. More to that, they had, like, wise men coming to them? I don't think so. To a manger? let, Let me say something, okay? If I was a wise man, and I know... We're going to stretch here. (laughs) But if I was a wise man, I would not make a a desert long trek to see a baby in a barn. 
because I'm carrying a ton of money. What are they? They don't have robbers and thieves across the desert waiting for three unsecure wise men to be just walking alone in the middle of the night following a star. No, no, I don't think so. They probably got their asses robbed if they were ever even existing in the first place. Now, obviously, this is all for fun. And this is all just sort of my goofy take on this ridiculous song. Uh, in this ridiculous season. It, and it's hard to sort of find your place in this holiday when you are, at your core, an atheist and see yourself as your own god. So it, it sort of pisses me off that there's this presumption that, oh, well, everyone must understand that there is a lord. Jesus, and Lord Jesus is gracious as he killed himself for you. <laughs> I mean, he didn't really kill himself, he just sort of gave himself up, and you know, but, but that's still the tale, right? I mean, at what point do we say, well, this song doesn't represent reality for one, or a good message for two? Because it's just talking about feel, I mean, this could be an 80s uh, techno ballad, and it would have the same power and authority over real life that this <laughs> Christmas holiday song does. I mean, could you imagine with sort of like this techno background to it? <laughs> well, anyway. A little uh, less vicious as last week's uh, when I was talking about that pedophile uh, Frosty the Snowman. But, uh, nonetheless, I, uh, I, don't think, uh, I don't think this is right. Not at all. There would have been a much more discussed... They probably had to fend uh, the little bloody baby away from, like, wild dogs and jackals and shit. I, I would be shocked if, like, the barn that they were, like, just kicking it in wasn't full of, like, lice and, and just nasty, disgusting bugs that were just eating away at this lord. Very. I, I thought cleanliness was next to godliness, right? So just the fact... I mean, what, what was he, like, shat out? <laughs> the most vile ways of saying it. Pristine, right? And that's how they were like, Oh, well, he must be the Lord because there's no blood on him. He's completely clean. Lies, I tell you. Pure lies. Alright, well, anyway, let's talk about the show, shall we? Uh, and like I mentioned before, it is a great show. Today's part six of nine on how to be God the devil. In the Infernal Informant, picture of Air Force airmen fooling around with casket sparks investigation, and deadly Iraq war ends with exit of last U.S. troops. I feel like I've heard that before. In the Creature Feature, Blackthorn Productions. That's right, I've got Draconis Blackthorn in the show. He is going to be telling us all about all of his many, many projects. In Bizarre the Bizarre, I'm going to be talking finally no matter what, I'm going to get to this. Sexy Sweat versus Filthy Sweat. And again, look forward to next week, the Nine Cents Horrific Holiday Special. It's campy, it's fun, and you have to listen. Nine Cents starts now. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I'll raise up my voice that you may hear to the east and to the west I beckon to the north and to the south I show a sign proclaiming a death to the weakling wealth to the strong can I get a hail Satan I said can I get a hail Satan we are the devil's advocates
Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. By means of uh, setting up today, we've been talking about how to be a god or devil. And this is in the Devil's Notebook by Anton Zander LeVay. Go out and buy it. And uh, the first week we talked about don't advertise. The second, never be fashionable. The third, you must be creative. Four, you must have style, class. Five, a sense of humor is a must. And six, today we are talking about always harbor some doubt, even about yourself. And I've actually talked about this before, about ego in, in a past episode. Some of the key points are worth talking about again. And it's this idea of... And I reference self-awareness in previous episodes as well. If you are a self-aware individual, if you are anywhere close to self-actualization, well, then you question your own behavior, just like you question all things. And that's sort of a, a fundamental satanic point of understanding. You have to look at the world around you. What, whatever it is you're told... Take a step back, see that third perspective, question why you're being told it. Why is it presented this way? And you have to do it about yourself too. Now, having a healthy ego is a must uh, if you're going to be a god. But you can have a fault in having too healthy of an ego. Because there's a point where you stop looking at what you're saying and you stop qualifying what you're saying and you just blow hard. You're just throwing out... Uh, comments trying to convince other people of something that just isn't true and that's that you're infallible that's that you're powerful what's truly godlike what's truly powerful is being able to look at yourself see what's real and talk about that if you're going to talk about anything but you have to be able to see that you are not perfect and that's what's going to help you become more perfect if that makes sense at all to you. Uh, if you can see faults within yourself, then you can correct them, or you can work with them. And that's a big part about being a self-actualized human being, is being able to see what you're good at, what you're not good at, and work within those confines. I mean, that's just the reality that we all have to sort of face together here, if you see yourself as your own God like I do, you obviously are looking at everyone else around you in society, that, that herd that surrounds us at all times, and you see continual faults. There's going to be pieces of those faults that reflect in you, and you may not be aware of it initially unless you take a look at yourself, um, but they're there. So whether you're aligning yourself with a particular political ideology, or whether you are trying to uh, express how good you are at whatever it is you do, uh, let's say you're an artist, or a writer, or hell, a carpenter, whatever it is you're doing, you have to be able to see what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, and that's going to help you be honest with yourself. Who cares about other people? What's important is that you're always honest with yourself. And that's how you're going to be a god. So, really short, straight to the point, 
Uh, I think that was like, what, three minutes? <laughs> but you don't really have to say more than that. Be honest with yourself. Look at yourself. Don't bloviate who and what you are. Morning is of darkness. Earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. All in the infernal format. Uh, this is a New York Daily News.com article written by Philip Caulfield. Picture of Air Force Airmen fooling around with a casket sparks investigation. Air Force officials are investigating a tasteless photo showing airmen clowning around with a coffin like the ones used for the transfer of America's war dead, according to a report in an Air Force newspaper. <clears throat> the picture taken at an Air Force training school in Fort Lee, Virginia, in August, shows more than a dozen fatigue-clad airmen posing around a colleague playing dead inside the open casket. The body is wrapped in chains, and there is a noose around its neck. Da-dumped, da-dumped, sucks to be you, a message on the photo says. The 16 airmen, a mix of junior staff and non-commissioned officers, are from Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, according to the Air Force Times, which first reported the investigation. They were in Fort Lee, training to load and unload military aircraft cargo. They were not learning the process of transporting dead soldiers, the Times said. Though the meaning of the photo and the message are not known, Air Force Brass said the casket gag was disrespectful to the families of fallen service members. We take this matter seriously, Air Force Secretary Michael Donnelly told the Times. It saddens me that this may cause additional grief to the families of our fallen warriors. Army Staff Sergeant Elias Bonilla, who sent the Times the photo on Monday after a friend spotted it on Facebook, saying the pic suggested the Air Force wasn't serious about the solemn task of transporting heroes killed in action. I cannot help but picture the faces of my dead colleagues that were dragged out of burning vehicles, dug out from collapsed buildings, Vanilla told the Times. Several outraged commenters on the Times website called for the airmen to be discharged. How dare you, wrote Dee Dee Salia who said she was a military widow. My husband came home in one of those boxes. Not his own two feet like these disgraceful people will. Shame on you. The Air Force said its investigation would take about two weeks. A right, short article, but... Who cares? Seriously? So this lady is upset that these kids were clowning around with a coffin because her husband came home in a similar coffin? What? Are you kidding me? So we can't... At all, ever, what, like, goof around on an airplane? Because your husband came home on an airplane, too. What do you think the coffin was carried in? Just because it has some relation to you, don't expect everyone else in the world to care at all. I don't care. These, it, all the Air Force has to say is, these are trainees. Period. That's it. They were not on assignment. They were not bringing back coffins. That was not a real dead person in the coffin. It's literally soldiers trying to have a little bit of fun in a really crappy time in the world right now. What's the big deal with that? So your feelings are hurt. Oh, well, let's all change the way we do everything because of the way you feel. I talked about this political correctness crap last week. And I'm going to have to stomp on it again. Let me pull up my soapbox a little bit. I don't care 
if it makes you feel one way or another. I am not responsible for your feelings. These kids that are going to go to war and may or may not come back in a coffin like this are okay with goofing around and having a little bit of fun with their private group. This image was stolen from them and thrown out into the media and then all of a sudden people are throwing their hands in the air like it's a big, who cares? It doesn't change the fact that your husband is dead. It doesn't change the fact that your husband might be alive. It doesn't change the fact that these people may die serving their country or that they may come back wounded literally a a hollow shell of who they were formerly. Grant them the tiny, minuscule amount of humor that they can find in life until that time. It doesn't matter. They're not representing the Air Force as a whole. They don't represent Army as a whole. You cannot put that sort of authority on one individual person. Certainly not trainees. And to act like you're seriously wounded internally all you're trying to do is control other people's actions through your pathetic sorrow move on this is not a real story and the only reason why i'm addressing it is to give that perspective of it it doesn't matter that they're goofing around that doesn't change what your husband meant or what your children meant when they went to war and they may have died it's just a couple kids finding a little bit of humor albeit in a dark way, in a really dark time. Move past it. Certainly, there has to be something else in your life worth worrying about. I don't know, like maybe yourself. Let's try doing that for a minute, huh? Stop getting in other people's faces, telling them what they can and can't do. I guess in a way I am kind of telling her what to do. Just stop with the the, the feigned shock and horror of crap like this. If, and literally, if this is the worst it gets, you should be happy. Did you ever see the Abu Ghraib freaking photos? I mean, this is nothing. These are all alive. These are all just goofing around people. Those were prisoners that they forced into very, very sexual positions and degrading positions. I don't necessarily care about that either. I'm just bringing it up by comparison. It, it could have been a lot worse. So don't feign shock and horror over something so ridiculous as a bunch of living soldiers having fun. And who are you to say what is okay and what's not okay? Really. How about we delve a little deeper into your life? Let everyone poke fingers at you. Pathetic human beings. It doesn't matter. Who cares? And I mean, just for these soldiers, da-dump, da-dump sucks to be you what does that even mean is that like from a song or something like (laughs) i just don't get it and they're all like have their arms up like crossing their arms i'm thinking it has to be something with popular culture that i maybe have not been exposed to Uh, anyway if you guys know what it is please let me know um the article didn't know what it was either because they didn't reference it at all but uh don't feign shock it doesn't matter Deadly Iraq War Ends with Exit of Last U.S. Troops by Moni Basu, and this is a CNN article. Um, And this is actually posted December 18th. Early Sunday, as the sun ascended into the winter sky, the very last American convoy made its way down the main highway that connects Iraq and Kuwait. The military called it its final tactical road march. A series of 110 armed, heavily armored hulking trucks, and mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles, carrying about 500 soldiers, streamed slowly but steadily out of the combat zone. 
a few minutes before 8 a.m., the metal gate behind the last MRAP closed. With it came to an end a deadly and divisive war that lasted almost nine years. Its enormous cost calculated in blood and billions. Some rushed to touch the gate, forever a symbol now of an emotional landmark day. Some cheered with the army's ultimate expression of affirmation. It's hard to put words to it right now, said Lieutenant Colonel Jack Vantress. It's a feeling of elation, he said, to see what we've accomplished in the last eight and a half years, and then to be part of the last movement out of Iraq. Once, when hundreds of thousands of Americans were in Iraq, the main highway was better known as Main Supply Route Tampa, and soldiers trekked north towards Baghdad and beyond, never knowing what danger lurked in their path. On this monumental day, the Texas-based 3rd Brigade Special Troops Battalion 1st Cavalry Division's main concern was how to avoid a traffic jam on their final journey in Iraq. Staff Sergeant Daniel Gomer, 37, was on the road in August 2003. It was his first time at war. He was frightened. There was not a lot of traffic at that time, he recalled. He remembered a lot of cheering by Iraqis, even though their situation was tense. Sunday morning, the air was decidedly different. It's pretty historic, he said about the drive south, hoping he would not ever have to come back through this unforgiving terrain again. Once there were bases sprinkled in the desolate desert between Nasiria and Basra, American soldiers hidden from view behind walls of giant mesh hesco bags filled with dirt and sand to stave off incoming fire. On this day, the roads, the bases were in Iraqi hands. The sands in the bags returned to the earth. Once, almost nine years ago, in March 2003, U.S. tanks and armored personnel carriers thundered north with the drive and determination needed to decapitate a dictator. On this day, heading south towards Kabari border crossing, the soldiers took stock of their sacrifice. In another war, there had been little joy or even emotion as final jet transports lifted Americans from Vietnamese soil. Sunday saw the end of the largest troop drawdown for the United States since Vietnam. These men and women who fought in Iraq may not feel they are leaving behind an unfinished war or returning home to a nation as deeply scarred as it was years after Vietnam, but many crossed the border harboring mixed feelings about doubt about the future of Iraq. The biggest thing about going home is just that it's home, Gomer said. It's civilian as I know it, the western world, not sand and dust and the occasional rain here and there. A month ago, Adder, the last U.S. base before the five-hour drive to the Kuwait border, housed 12,000 people. By Thursday, the day the United States formally ended its mission in Iraq, with a flag-casing ceremony in Baghdad, under 1,000 people remained there. A 3rd Brigade Special Troops Battalion, 1st Cavalry Division, officially transferred control of Camp Adder to the Iraqis on Friday, though it did not really change hands until the last American departed early Sunday morning. At its height, Adder housed thousands of troops and had a large, large PX, fast food outlets, coffee shops, and even an Italian restaurant. Now a ghost town, the United States gave 110,000 items left at Adder to the Iraqis, a loot worth $76 million, according to the military. In her last days working in the guard tower in Iraq, Sergeant Ashley Voorhees, 29, dreamed of seeing her three children and eating crispy chicken tacos at Rosa's Mexican restaurant in Killeen, Texas. She also looked forward to not having to carry her gun with her to the bathroom. Voorhees, a combat medic, 
spent her first tour of Iraq with her husband as a soldier. When Osama bin Laden was captured and killed, my mom was like, Does that mean everyone's coming home now? Voorhees said. We actually had it a lot better than the people who did the initial invasion, she said. We're just thankful that we're not getting attacked every day. When the war was at its worst in 2006, America had 239,000 men and women in uniform stationed more than 500 bases sprinkled throughout Iraq. Another 135,000 contractors were working in Iraq. The United States will still maintain a presence in Iraq. Hundreds of the non-military personnel, including 1,700 diplomats, law enforcement officers, and economic, agricultural, and other experts, according to the State Department. In addition, 5,000 security contractors will protect Americans, and another 4,500 contractors will serve in other roles. The quiet U.S. exit, shrouded in secrecy until it occurred, closes a war that was contentious from the start and cost the nation more than $800 billion. President Barack Obama, who had made a campaign promise to bring home American troops, reflected on a greater cost as Sunday's exit made good on his word. According to the Defense Department, 4,487 service members were killed in the war. More than 30,000 were wounded. In all, 1.5 million Americans served their nation at war. All of them, our troops, veterans, and their families, will always have the thanks of a grateful nation, Obama said in his weekly radio address Saturday. It's impossible to know with certainty the number of Iraqis who have died in Iraq since 2003, but the independent public database Iraq body count has compiled reports of more than 150,000 between the invasion on October 2010 with four out of five dead being civilians. And the question of how Iraq will fare in the months ahead without U.S. troops is also impossible to answer. Even before the last soldiers had left, political crisis was erupting in Baghdad. The powerful political bloc, Iraqia, said it was suspending its participation in parliament, which would threaten Iraq's fragile power-shaking arrangement. Iraqia accuses Iraqi Prime Minister Nure al-Maliki of amassing power. The withdrawal of U.S. troops stirred conflicting emotions on the streets of Baghdad. In the predominantly Sunni neighborhood of Adimia, where Saddam Hussein made his final public appearance in 2003, a man said residents were afraid, tense, and worried about Iran's influence. He refused to appear on camera or give his name because of what he said was the sensitive nature of the situation. In a Shia neighborhood on the other side of the city, one man said he supported the toppling of Hussein's regime, but felt too much blood was shed afterward. The USA went through and they ruined this country, bringing with them many troubles. And now they're going, and more trouble coming. And the man, that was actually a little more Russian, and the man who asked to be called Abu Ali for security reasons. But for the last U.S. troops out, the message was clear. Colonel Doug Chrisman, their commander, spent the past few weeks speaking to the soldiers in each of his companies. He told them he was proud of his troops and they should be proud of what they have accomplished. And he wanted his soldiers to take care of themselves back home as much as they did in Iraq. In the months before the brigade deployed in February, it lost 13 soldiers to accidents, some because of driving under the influence of alcohol. At least one death was a suicide. Quite frankly, we lost more soldiers in peacetime in the nine or ten months before the long brigade deployed due to accidents and risky behavior than were lost here in combat, Christmas said. We want every soldier that survived this combat deployment to survive redeployment and reintegration. Captain Marcus Skew, 28, said he was worried about the well-being of his soldiers, many of whom have done multiple tours in Iraq, and felt the stress and sting of war. Was the loss, the grief, worth it? For Skew, 
It will all depend on how Iraqi's future unfolds, whether democracy and human rights will take root, whether Iraq will be a steadfast U.S. ally. It will depend, he said, on how Iraq shapes its own destiny. And that was it. And that, there was a lot there. So if we can just sort of take a step back and look at this. We're still leaving close to 10,000 security force personnel there. We still have thousands of law enforcement, diplomats, and economic and agricultural experts there. So the war officially may be over, but we're not leaving. Those bases that we built over there, we still have people at. We still have security forces there. And this is going to be just like uh, South Korea. This is going to be just like... um, World War II, where years later we have American soldiers doing tours to Iraq. In these bases, training Iraqis, conducting missions, and training themselves. It's great that the war is officially over, but I think after this long, after this many years, it's hard to look back and think that it was a good thing. They destroyed a dictator that was a sad, pathetic shell of a man in a shell of power that he once was when he, when we first went in. And we can speculate all we want about what he could have done. But right now, Iraqi's future is literally up in the air. And you know what? It's always been up in the air, so who cares? I mean, it doesn't affect us any more than it did when we went in. So let's stop pretending like we really care. We just wanted to secure a U.S.-friendly process, uh, political power, so that we can have their oil still. Nothing wrong with that. But let's be honest about what we're doing, shall we? We still have Afghanistan, which was really... The, the original point of all of this. And it's still going on. Even though the guy we were chasing after is dead. Um, we now are paying a little more attention to Pakistan and Iran. Though, to be quite honest, I'm not entirely sure it's worth it. The bottom line is, the war in Iraq may be over. It doesn't change anything with our soldiers except it's one less rotation that they may or may not have to deal with and let's talk about the soldiers here for a second when you see someone walking down the street in BDUs stick your hand out and thank them when you see someone going through a hard time that's in your family that has meaning to you in your life Let them know that they're not alone. Because coming back from something like that, though I cannot speak from experience, firsthand, I have a lot of friends and family who have had to deal with that reintegration, as the article put it. And it's not easy. But for those of them that are, you know, important to us, we can help make it easier. And for you businessmen out there, men and women, who are given a resume 
from both a veteran and a civilian. Think about that veteran a little bit harder, because they went through a little bit more than that civilian, no matter how bad the economic times were back home. So basically what I'm saying is, let's look out for our own, for those of them that are our own. And let's help them reintegrate to society, this wonderfully shallow and self-serving society that we live in, uh, as best as we can. Because we owe a lot to them. And it's not just Americans either. So keep that in mind. Again, all of this depends on whether or not these people are important to you and whether it means anything to you. But a friendly reminder never hurt anyone. And that's going to do it for another Infernal Informant. I'm going to take a really quick break and we're going to jump into the creature feature with Blackthorn Productions. See you there. Venture down into Lambert's basement and join me, Dave Ingram and Eagle, Hello. where we time travel via nostalgia to a golden age of big band swing and jazz, only available on Radio Free Satan. Are different than cats, and hey, what if Jack Nicholson were? Hey, what if We Are the World was sung by the cast of Friends? I think it might go something like this. Hi, everyone, I'm Jay Leno. Anyone remember when I was funny? Eat Doritos. Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook. Are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses? Sick of stand up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before? Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com to download the latest podcast. The Devil's Mischief. Carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers simply not made for the masses. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She moves the swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as a last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by none other than Draconis Blackthorn, the man behind Blackthorn Productions and The Devil's Diary. Uh, how are you? And thank you so much for joining me today. Very well, Adam. And uh, how are you this night on Krumpusnacht? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing quite well. I was wondering if maybe we could start this uh, with uh, a reading of your poem that you released, the Krumpusnacht poem. Certainly. Okay, Krumpusnacht. On Krampusnacht, the Krampus comes forth, ringing thine bell from out of the darkness, resounding from hell. 
displaying thy rictus, switchel in hand, a demonic vision now walks the land, on Krampus knocked. Krampi of every shape, color, and size, a devil's procession you will fire in their eyes. A messenger of nightmarish fame, this bearded beast with horn-crowned mane on Krampus knocked. Villagers cower with whispered prayers, fearsome shadows cast with dusk to bring the night, torches of flame with scent of brimstone's pyre, and some will vanish into the black, black embrace, a thorny gash, a scion's choir, on Krampus knocked. Nice. And uh, that was an original, right? Of course, definitely. That's awesome. I also created an image for it and uh, sort of created a, a mixture of uh, multimedia combinations here. That's great. I, yeah, I'm looking at the, the, the post you put in Facebook right now, and yeah. uh, it's uh, presumably Krampus uh, behind a scroll and everything, and it, it looks really nice. Thank you. I first found out about Krampus Knocked uh, about uh, four or five years ago. I was wondering why that character wasn't included in some of these uh, <laughs> Santa-like processions. and thought <laughs> a, a, a balance perhaps needed to be provided. And uh, for, uh, I guess, uh, children, uh, perhaps they would behave themselves a little better or perhaps uh, could make a friend out of the Krampus, depending upon their disposition, hypothetically, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny, I actually was just uh, introduced to it, I believe, last year for the first time. Uh, and I actually saw there's some videos on YouTube and stuff where there's reenactments in, uh, in some cities in Europe, I guess. Uh, interesting stuff. I mean, for sure, if you've never uh, been exposed to it before, uh, get out there and, and look it up. Um, but a great poem, nonetheless, by Draconis Blackthorn. How about we dive right into this interview here? Um, I would like to talk to you about uh, Blackthorn Productions, about some of your uh, the work that you do, um, some of the projects, and of which there are many. Uh, but first, let's find out a little bit about the man behind these projects, behind Blackthorn Productions. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about, about yourself? Well, um, I initially joined the Infernal Empire in about a year 27, and uh, thought that uh, for all that time I had seen various portrayals of the church and Dr. LeVay. So I thought that when the time came and I was able to uh, join, uh, I went straight away into it with, uh, you know, both horns forward. <laughs> And uh, since then, I thought I would like to bring something to the table. So all these ideas that I had previously, I started to place them into a more of a structured form. So uh, they're basically uh, things of the time I may have not have seen or uh, I considered it was uh, inspirational from what others were doing. So uh, along with that, of course, uh, contributing to uh, various publications that were in existence. Um, however, in bringing uh, some of the members forward into uh, my various projects, and uh, they've been very gracious to have participated in these as well, uh, particularly the Devil's Diary, which uh, 
I was able to uh, place them all together, these essays and contributions, into a book named The Devil's Diaries. And uh, so far, it uh, has gotten some great responses, uh, wonderful uh, participants and inclusions. And uh, so it's, uh, in regards to the Infernal Empire, uh, since I initiated uh, Blackthorn Productions, it has remained a constant flow of uh, creativity and expression for myself and others. And uh, so along with these, of course, there were the, uh, some of the black arts and witchcrafts, as it were, mm-hmm. which were uh, the various traditional oracles, shall we say, which, were, uh, which most Satanists now would regard as more or less as works of art, or perhaps, you know, experimentation for those so inclined. And uh, it works on both fronts. I created the Satan's Ouija uh, to uh, resonate, say, uh, aesthetically to Satanic uh, perspective. Yeah. As well as uh, a variation on uh, the runes uh, with uh, original creations, uh, symbols implemented therein upon black rock and perhaps uh, eventually if demand uh, grows for it uh, perhaps perhaps obsidian as I believe um, uh, Magister Barton suggested in uh, Church of Satan book mm-hmm. as well as um, uh, tarot cards perhaps would, uh, another um, long standing uh, goal that I eventually probably will put together and uh, basically uh Accessing all these various uh, traditional practices in the occult and modifying them to, uh, uh, shall we say, more personal, thereby satanic um, meaning uh, to the individual. Uh, Each individual is, each Satanist is vastly uh, different uh, and an individual that we are like mind at times. Yeah. but But still, Definitely, uh, it has received um, very interesting results uh, from my personal experimentations. I've seen um, at least uh, an accent, a um, a bit of a fill up, uh, a little bit of a push to some of the uh, our innate instinctual attributes. And um, of course, and there's the uh, the magazine, which. Uh, Itself, which I'm very proud to uh, put forth every well Nacht and Halloween, and the uh, Shadow Gallery calendar, which I initiated two years ago to uh, access some of my artwork and as well as poetry wow. in a visual form, and uh, which of course can be supplemented by the book Satanic Serenades, which uh, I was very happy to have. Uh, collaborated with uh, musician Dorian Gray, also one of us, who uh, did a marvelous, magnificent job with these orchestrations, and um, as well as his own projects, are quite remarkable as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. Is it, You are just involved in so much. Uh, l- let, me, uh, let me ask you, I can identify with um, this... You know, a, a cult background that it seems that you you have come from, uh, just the runes and the Ouija board and the future tarot card, um, the uh, poetry and uh, music and everything. 
this is sort of a, a culture that a lot of us have in common. Certainly not all of us, but a lot of us do. An O culture, as it were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. So, do you think? I, I mean, I, I find some a lot of people sort of shake loose um, those um, occult um, avenues, we'll say, uh, like the Ouija board, um, and sort of focus a little bit more on uh, magical trappings, the way uh, Anton LaVey has uh, really sort of pointed it out in the Satanic Bible, I'll say. What do you think the reasons are that that you decided to bring back and add a decidedly Satanic spin on something, for example, like the Ouija board? Well, it's more of a psychological analysis. Uh, The Ouija board, uh, things of that nature, I've found to be um, accessing a Jungian dark side within oneself. Mm -hmm. As long as perspective is attained and you don't... uh, consider this as an external force uh, telling you what to do or lead your life but uh, you may, it, it, it's essentially a, these are tools mm-hmm. with which to uh, exercise your dark side and uh, whether or not uh, one gleans the purported results or not they do serve to focus one's goals perhaps or to sharpen one's uh, innate senses, or shall we say, instinct. Just a bit more. You practice anything, and you get better and better at it. So it's, uh, overall, it's more or less an art form. It's more or less an aesthetic presentation, more so than uh, perhaps a storybook or a a movie uh, variation of what it could or should be. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, uh, if people are going to play the the devil's game, so to speak, then they should, it should be given the devil's name. And uh, that's nice. basically what uh, this has become for me. And, and I actually really like that take on it. Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter whether I like it or not, but I identify with that take on it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I have actually um, uh, made my own Ouija board years ago uh, before I identified myself as a Satanist and I used it for that very purpose uh, more of a, um, a psychological tool of, of, of evening out my uh, you know different crazy emotions that any kid has uh, growing up so using it like that I think is, is a, a very um, it's a very educated way of taking on uh, the occult, and stripping away sort of the absurd, uh, I don't know, spiritual side of it. Precise. But what I like at the same time is that we can still use that uh, aesthetic, you know? I mean, even right. though we rationalize um, and, and we accept reality and we accept um, the authority that uh, our, our subconscious has on the actualization of results, it's still... It's still... It's almost like being a kid again for a minute, at least for me, uh, going back to that time when 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 magic was uh, not understood and and things were genuinely scary and right right you know it's just it's great so I'm really glad to see that someone's sort of carrying that torch that so many others have dropped. Well, the, these are the psychodramas uh, which stimulate the emotions to power drive the actualization of your desires. Yeah. 
magic is the key to materialization, uh, combined with effort, of course. And uh, you combine all these factors uh, in the same spirit, in the, uh, so to speak, in the ritual chamber, you go forth and uh, it becomes an intellectual decompression chamber. Very much uh, these types of tools can be accessed in that manner. So, uh, Dr. LeVay mentioned uh, you, you look upon the Baphomet and it represents yourself it, only in a, in, a, in a visual form in order to uh, stimulate your emotions. Mm. And uh, very much the same way uh, can be, these tools can, can be recognized as such. It's, uh, it's, it's a, a mirror, a reflection of uh, what you are putting forth and you're feeding off your own energy. And thus it uh, helps you, in, in my opinion, to, uh, to sharpen certain goals, perhaps to add uh, an extra bit of um, perspective on uh, what you may not have seen commonly. It's a very, very good form of meditation, mm. as it were. Uh, focusing on your goal, so it's very atheistic in that sense. It's both atheistic and atheistic, but definitely, yeah. uh, it definitely proceeds from oneself. Absolutely, nice. So, um, let me talk a little bit more about Blackthorn Productions um, as as a construct here. Uh, so, you, you didn't start it until you joined um, the the Church of Satan. Is that correct? Correct. And and your idea was to um, promote what you, well I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, you did it to share um, ideas and, and thoughts and products, correct? Absolutely, my own and uh, whoever else wants to participate. That's nice. What what I often find when looking at different production environments um, or um, producers is that they genuinely. Uh, I'm sorry. That they generally focus on one uh, media they, or one avenue of artistic expression. Um, I think you're breaking that mold because <laughs> you have a lot of different things. You got poetry. You got um, uh, essays, um, <laughs> artwork, mm -hmm. uh, um, music collaboration. So, what is it about Blackthorn Productions that that makes it so varied that? that you want to not just focus on one thing like uh, music or like books or artwork, for example, and that you want to offer so many different uh, media under, under one, on one tent. Well, show business is the devil's realm. And I thought these are th things I've been doing uh, prior to creating Blackburn Productions and a more or less for personal amusement. Uh, so might as well uh, create it and go forward in a structured form you know, along with the, uh, to contribute to the organization. Mm -hmm. um, there's some things that are created here are, you know, a little bit, you know, better than others, or sometimes it, you know, hits and, and so forth. But everything I do try to put forth, uh, at least towards my satisfaction, uh, you know, seems to have been uh, appreciated. And uh, perhaps, you know, that is what uh, is the ratifying point to, um, you know, how many different avenues <laughs> should be accessed. Right. And it, it'll keep on happening as long as uh, these uh, creations are uh, are seen as uh, in the value of some sort. It starts with oneself and, uh, of course, complementary uh, analysis or observation is very much appreciated. Now, you have a lot of projects out there. Um, mm -hmm. And in doing some research for this interview, 
I found it challenging to navigate through all of your different works. Um, so for people interested, where can they go to find out about the various uh, offerings that uh, Blackthorn Productions has? On the Shadowmantium website, that's shadowmantium.com. It's uh, everything's basically available there, and uh, you can purchase right on the website or go to the uh, book publishers. There's a um, like Lulu or or go to the uh, music song stall. It's uh, in, but basically uh, there's a Blackthorn Productions page proper available there on, as well as uh, you know see the uh, updates, the evolutions, which. Uh, it's an Inochian, Inochian banner, <laughs> and uh, go on there, and it'll take you to uh, what's been going on uh, month by month. Well, yeah, I have noticed the blog, and I, I noticed that you're also um, on Facebook, often sharing uh, old movies and, and reviews and uh, your own personal works. So. Yeah. Um, for anyone out there interested, uh, certainly you know check out uh, the social networks and uh, find out what uh, Blackthorn Productions is up to. And it's always something new, and it's a lot of different things. Um, let's talk about Devil's Diary. Certainly, if we can for a moment here. Um, when did you first start that, and what what provoked you? I mean, what, what was sort of the genesis of the Devil's Diary? The Devil's Diary. Before it was the Devil's Diary, I called it Noctuary. This was a magazine I had been tossing around in my head before uh, the church, before I joined the church. And, um, however, like I, s- I said again, that Devil's Diary basically was a concentrated magazine for the uh, Infernal Empire. Mm-hmm. However, uh, so it, it evolved out of that, which was basically more of a horror magazine. Uh, horror mostly uh, multimedia and then the essays began coming forth and uh, I took a uh, several classes on small business management and journalism and decided uh, you know why not create something here that uh, the infernal empire perhaps would appreciate and uh, so I just did it and uh, sent the a copy or two to uh, administration, and uh, they seem to have liked it, and uh, have since included it on the uh, news page upon each release. Yeah, and uh, which is of course a great honor. And um, so it, yeah, the Genesis. It was a, uh, <laughs> a pre-magazine before it turned into the Devil's Diary. Nice. And so it has been. Now, you already mentioned that you have sort of a, a biannual release schedule, so Valpergus Noct and Halloween, is that correct? Correct. What was the idea behind that, um, to do it twice a year rather than maybe once a quarter or once a year? Or? Initially, I, I received so much um, submissions that I decided it would be uh, appropriate to, to put it out twice a year. In the beginning, uh, the magazines were uh, sometimes uh, 45 to 50 plus pages, so I decided to split them in half with uh, appropriately themed um, releases for the the whole hell of days, mm-hmm. and uh, it just seems to work that way, since uh, a lot occurs in that uh, that period between what seems to be uh, most Satanists' favorite holidays, uh, yeah. <laughs> besides one's birthday, of course, yeah. and, uh, and it, it's all-encompassing. 
and uh, I love Halloween. I, and of course, in honor of uh, well, Pergishnacht uh, being our the foundation of our organization, yeah. I thought these were the two perfect holidays to release them since there's so much resonance with so many of us. Nice. Um, we'll talk about how people can get their hands on this um, in a little bit. I'd like to talk a little bit of marketing here on the, the Devil's Diary side here. So what what do you think that the Devil's Diary offers that other publications don't? Um, what does the Devil's Diary brings to the table, so to speak, that really should whet the appetite of, of, of your target market? Uh, just the sheer combination of uh, content that's on there. Um, another inspiration was uh, in the beginning when I was putting forth my website, I had a lot uh, that I would have available just for people to peruse online. So uh, all these different sections, you know, which were the essays and all the different multimedia, uh, personal relations, adventures, ex experiments, etc. So uh, it became, you know, poetry, it became a wide uh, spectrum. So it concentrated all in one, in one place. Uh, instead of, uh, you know, having them there, but to have a, a print variation. And, of course, since then, the, the Shadow Man Team website has moved on to a more uh, concise form since uh, two Halloweens ago. And, uh, again, uh, it seemed to have, it is appreciated by those that uh, I respect. Mm -hmm. and, and thus, it, it's a motivating factor. So what I bring to the table, I feel, is a, um, a, a wide variety mostly yes uh, and so I mean I would s go out on a limb here and say that um, Satanists are, are going to be the target market <laughs> well, yes <laughs> do you do you make any effort to reach out to any other um, any other audience uh, not necessarily uh, not with the devil's diary yeah. uh, I have received uh, some correspondence from a couple of um, non-Satanists and they seem to appreciate it for what it is uh, of course, they may not uh, agree with everything. However, uh, they can appreciate perhaps the work or uh, the uh, perspectives, and uh, it could also serve as an educational tool if anyone uh, gets their hands on it. I actually took a psychology of religion class and uh, asked to bring in some uh, literature of our particular religions, and I thought, uh, well, <laughs> I might as well bring my own in. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, the instructor, as well as... Uh, most other students who were a little bit more open-minded, uh, of course, were taken aback that uh, there was this ex these expressions that were not the horror movie variations, of course, in literal <laughs> form. Yeah. But uh, they could definitely uh, appreciate or understand at least that uh, we we appreciate trappings, many of the trappings, uh, which, uh, although t with elegance and uh, sophistication as well, you know, depend upon the, the spectrum of Satanist, but. Uh, Different levels you can appreciate. Uh, however, uh, they were looking at the philosophy, and uh, you know, it was nothing that they expected. And uh, I actually uh, made a little uh, sort of a little lecture that day, unexpected lecture, because yeah. uh, uh, everyone is pretty much uh, mostly familiar with uh, the major religions. However, you know, here you had uh, an actual satanic publication and. Uh, Actual Satanist in class, as it were. <laughs> so the, and he said, please tell us more about it. It's, a, it's pretty funny how, how the herd treats Satanists sometimes. It's almost like, a, 
you know, uh, oh look, it's, it's like Bigfoot, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, the elusive Satanist, at least the ones that are uh, out about it. So it, it was uh, quite amusing, actually. Yeah, I generally find people take one of two approaches. There, it's sort of that fight or flight. Um, oh yes, perspective. It, it's so rare that you get people that are actually uh, in opposition, but interested in hearing a different perspective. Um, and I don't ever really look at it, but it's always a gem when you do end up finding it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, usually people like see you as just uh, you know a complete liar. They won't believe anything you say. They only believe what they heard somewhere else, or they uh, see you as like this uh, special pet that they want to take home and latch on to you. And look, I've got a satanic friend, and you know mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, All of which can be used to one's advantage. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Let them think what they want to think as long as your uh, purposes are fulfilled. Yeah, <laughs> and making sure that you go into it with a purpose. <laughs> That's Identify shit like that, like right off the bat. Self-realization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so publishing uh, The Devil's Diary, I would imagine, I mean, you do only do it uh, twice a year, but still there's a lot that goes into any publication. Absolutely. Um I don't know, can you maybe walk us through uh, a brief process of publishing The Devil's Diary? You know, what are some of the hurdles that you have to overcome that over the years you've sort of worked the kinks out of? Yeah, the, the first version of The Devil's Diary, which uh, was basically lasted up until uh, eight or nine issues, that was mostly done with uh, traditional publishers out here. It, you take your um, your finished product, you know, almost like in the, in the quote-unquote old-fashioned way by, uh, you know, placing a collage of what you have in your mind, what you want it to look like, and then uh, you know, taking it to the printers, and uh, hopefully they will be competent enough to uh, create it for you without any t- terrible mistakes. So uh, the first version was taking it out to establishments, and uh, that eventually, uh, with the progression of technology and uh, the access of hardware, better hardware, um, so that uh, slowly began to move more and more um, online uh, exclusively until uh, then, of course, online publishers came on. And they could do basically everything that uh, was being done before, perhaps a, li- a little better. And uh, you have actually have more control over it. So um, that was moved on to. And uh, that's so now people can just uh, basically order straight from those publishers instead of having to have you know two or three different uh you know ways until you know their order is finalized so but what goes into it is basically uh the collection of uh what somebody uh you know what what those that will participate will contribute you put out a note out there that you, you will uh you're, you're thinking of putting together a next one and who wants to uh be part of it and uh, usually that arrives, you get this influx within the next uh, two or three weeks and, and up until your deadline date. And uh, then uh, usually around Halloween, around Walpurgis Nacht, you get it in there, uh, perhaps uh, sending out a copy towards uh, favored publishers and other um, publications of note uh, to have it reviewed. Uh, and sometimes the reviews uh, come in before you know you publish them. If you want to put on a, put out pre copies, yeah. And so you get a, a certain amount of feedback 
and it's usually quite positive. And uh, so, you know, you put it forward, and uh, and then that, and then it just builds from there. What's the lead time uh, that you you start requesting content? Uh, all the time, actually. It's uh, you know, at any time of the year, someone can send a submission. However, there are deadlines. Um, usually uh, for Halloween, it's about October 13th. Uh, the deadline for uh, Walpurgisnacht is usually about um, March, around March, or the uh, spring. But uh, basically, uh, that gives it enough time. Usually. Nice. Yeah, I would always imagine, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, this isn't really um, my forte of trying to put together a publication, but I would imagine that it would be pretty hectic trying to collect that many different varied, um, and then edit everything, too. I mean, not not only waiting for people to submit it. Absolutely, it can be, especially uh, when you have all these other things happening, you know, besides that in your life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had relocated here um, last year, and uh, it was, you know, right around Halloween, it was a very tight schedule, and I knew that I wanted to get something out there, and, uh, you know, the show must go on, as it were. So, uh, I basically put that one together in about uh, three days. Whoa! Uh, It had uh, accumulated, you know, so it was basically, uh, I just... put my will to it and uh, I basically sat down and, and, and needed to take care of it and uh, gratefully it uh, it managed nice so like a parent uh, being asked which child is their favorite you know you have to say all of them but let's <laughs> say uh, let's say one section in the devil's diary resonates a little louder with you um, what, what section would that be as far as the essays are concerned, uh, it would have to be uh, more so the essays that are just the distilled thoughts, pure satanic thought yeah. placed out there. Um, overall, um, I must say, though, uh, this recent interview with uh, Magus Gilmore was uh, fantastic, uh, conducted by uh, Warlock to Your Instinct. Yeah. And uh, it was a great inclusion. I've always wanted that to be part of the Devil's Diary and try to get an interview per issue. So this was fantastic, as long as, uh, as well as uh, Warlock Zoff Amag is in there from a musician's pers- another musician's perspective. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, I'd have to say, uh, number one, the essays, number two, the interviews. Nice. Do you ever find yourself, w- when, when putting this together, you have more of one or the other? Do you try to keep some sort of... Uh, equal ratio, or are you pretty much just whatever you have available in a finished form you're willing to put in there? Oh, it mostly comes out to whatever is available by the time that uh, the due date comes forth. And uh, that's what makes really every issue very unique in that, uh, you know, you never know what to expect. So you basically find out uh, the totality of what's available in there uh, by the... uh, say when it's listed on the news page or when it's released uh, because sometimes uh, even during the deadline date you have other things that are still filtering in uh, <laughs> and um, which which could work and uh, perhaps could supplement what you know may not have been as a uh, filled out before so it all depends do you ever find yourself uh, 
returning work, uh, asking for further refinements or corrections? Oh, there, there have been uh, definitely a couple of instances where you had uh, either poetry or so-called essays that were submitted by devil worship types who uh, uh. had absolutely, <laughs> no, absolutely no concept of uh, what Satanists are, and uh, so I was, you know, I tend to not answer them because you know why waste time on them, yeah. but. But you know, maybe they may or may not eventually come to realize why you know why they were not included, or perhaps they'll just go off in a huff. But whatever the <laughs> whatever the case may be, uh, this is intended uh, for you know to distill and to distribute satanic thought and expression in all in all realms, and uh, you know not uh, as a as a veritable graffiti wall for people's uh, unconcentrated uh, delusions. Yeah. Uh, do you do you ever feel like um, uh, do you ever receive something and and you're not sure which side of the fence it lays on? It's just vague enough that you're just like, well, I could include it, but it's not. Re-. I mean, is it ever a burden, um, sort of uh, being the defining force for your publication on what is Satanism or what is satanic and what is not? Well, I think part of my personal stratification process is seeing whether or not. It's um, valuable on some sort, on, on yeah. some way. Say if it's uh, if it's kind of uh, fictional or fantastical, is it good enough to be entertaining? Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's uh, more so on the analytical side, you know, is there, is there some really good educational information in there? And of course, if it's both, then you know that's very much doctor style. It's very amusing as well as. Uh, you know, filled with uh, undefiled wisdom. So yeah. you tend to, it's been said, you, you tend to retain more, and I, I agree with that. If you combine the imagination, left and the right hemispheres, you combine those together, of course, and then uh, you get a third sight perspective. And uh, so that would, that would be the defining factor, whether or not it's valuable on some level. Mm-hmm. If it's, you know, if it's, if it's not, then you know, just forget it. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Uh, okay, so where can people pick up The Devil's Diary? Um, what's the best place they can go? Shadowmantium? The Shadowmantium uh, will lead them to uh, two different methods to collect them. Um, there is a, a link to The Devil's Diary as well as a link to the Lulu publisher. And uh, so either way, I mean, uh, it's probably quicker through Lulu, actually. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry. Um, Basically, you know, the Blackthorn in the uh, the Lulu store. You can just type in the name and it'll pop up. But nice. usually, I I post you know links directly to the store they're on. So, are the past issues available still? Uh, several are. Uh, that's an incremental process. Uh, whenever there is time, all of them will eventually be available. But for now, most of them are. Yes. Um, Do you ever think about doing sort of a I don't know like a, like like a, like a compendium like maybe maybe one year you release you know both of them at the same you know like one year's worth at a time or or five years worth at a time or anything like that? Well, as a matter of fact, I do have a compendium. It's called uh, the Devil's Diaries, and the I you know n- not I didn't put the magazines out in there original form, like I said, that will be an incremental process, but in the right. time being, all of the content is available in this compendium. Nice. So, uh, Devil's Diaries, that uh, includes about 
little bit over 50 essays, as well as uh, interviews uh, from all the magazines, from from one all the way up to uh, to uh, seven, I believe. And uh, so it's all there. You know, whatever you missed, uh, <laughs> you need not miss it. That's great. Yeah, I was a little bit uh, unclear about um, what all it entailed, but oh my gosh, as well as the uh, content. Yes. And, and the covers, all the covers uh, are available, you know, in that book as well. That's great. Do you ever, do you offer it as, a, um, like, PDFs or anything like that as well? No, no, not thus far. Uh, I have been slowly in, been including um, e-books uh, yes. for a little bit, uh, you know, less expensive for those so inclined uh but uh, I decided to put that forth, and eventually, uh, probably the Devil's Diaries will reach that point. I see this increasing need for people to have everything, you know, right in their pocket. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, why not? Where, wherever you are, although I personally, personally uh, like the, the feel of a book in, a, you know, in, an, in an apt environment and to create this uh, wonderful uh, reading experience. Uh, but uh, if you have a hectic schedule, then that option definitely is available. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly of the, the mind that if I'm, for example, waiting on my tires to be rotated or something mm-hmm. like that, and I have a little bit of time, I love to just be able to sit down with my phone or something and, and read an ebook, um, yeah. even if it's only a paragraph. If it's something like an essay, that's perfect format for you know just you're sitting in a doctor's office waiting for the dentist to call on your name or. You know, just something like that, where you just have a short little brief moment of time, and you can just digest some satanic-inspired thought. Um, it's, it would be perfect for that. So, I, I certainly hope you'll you'll consider putting uh, the Devil's Diaries out on that. I definitely will, and I probably I probably will actually. Yes, that would be great. Okay, well, thank you so much. You've uh, given me a lot of your time, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, is there anything you would like to? Um, talk about or promote to the Nine Cents audience um, before we uh, wrap this baby up? Well, the next project I'm working on, it has become a relatively uh, a tradition, probably will continue, is the publication of the Shadow Gallery calendar, which has uh, a lot of poetry in the artwork that I put out. However, you know, I do take submissions for those uh, who wish. And uh, that's going to be available uh, hopefully around uh, the solstice. And uh, the Beyond that, uh, the possibility of uh, another uh, narrations from the Abyss CD, which were me narrating various essays, as nice. well as um, you know, and of course, Devil's Diaries, constant, mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps eventually uh, an art book. And oh wow! Because there's a, a lot of content that's uh, over a hundred and. Uh, 50 images plus and some that are not even uh, hey. put out there that <laughs> seems to be uh, people get a kick out of it yeah. so, uh, I'll just uh, go ahead and put that out <laughs> well might as well if, if people are interested you know, I and mean, you're comfortable with uh, putting it out there there's no reason not to uh, thank you again Dragonis and uh, I hope we can talk again maybe in uh, um, in the future on another project that gets released or, or maybe uh, you know this the calendar that you're going to be releasing sometime around Solstice uh, we can bring you on and talk about it or something my pleasure Adam alright until then hail Satan hail Satan
I'm beginning to think that I'm never going to get to that bizarre the bizarre because every time I think we are, every time I think the show is going to allow it, we just run over at great length. And there's nothing wrong with that. That was a really great interview, um, and I didn't want to cut it short. Um, so I didn't. <laughs> it's really that simple. Uh, and that's going to be it for yet another show. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, next week, oh yeah, next week, it is the holidays, and it is the horrific holiday special from Nine Cents. So tune in if and you have the time. <laughs> Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, musical personalities, visit Radio Free Satan, an online streaming radio station. And once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan! <laughs>